I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back. On today's episode, we are speaking to a physical therapist and practice owner who sold three of his practices recently in 2020. We're going to get into all of that and more. I'm Dave Kittle, the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group in New York, looking to partner and acquire some or all of the practices in the New York and New Jersey area with our team at the Fieldmaker Group. And today we have Mike Studer on the show. He's a physical therapist, a practice owner, among many things. He's doing a ton of things, a researcher, I believe an author, many, many other things. We're going to get into all of that. First of all, Mike, good morning. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm feeling great. Really appreciate the early bird in you because we're here at around 8 a.m. East Coast time and you're in Las Vegas, three hours behind a little around 5 a.m. And you've already been off the treadmill and showered and everything. So uh, you're a super high energy early bird. We appreciate that. There's probably practice owners that watch and listen to this that might already know you. But if not, let's get a little bit of a background to yourself as a physical therapist. We'll get into your practice, the duration, the timeline that you've had, your practice, and then the exit and the sale. We'll get into all of that. So for a little bit of a bio, let's catch the audience up in regards to who you are and, and a little bit about your practice. Certainly, yeah. I've been a PT since 1991. I've got the unusual circumstance of having a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate all in physical therapy. So that's actually just a function of inefficiency. I uh, primarily have lived in the sectors of neurologic and geriatric rehab. I'm a sports enthusiast and got into physical therapy because of my love for baseball. Awesome. Love baseball as well. Myself, I played in college, so excellent. So with um, with your ownership, when did you go into practice, private practice? Private practice in 2004. And as you mentioned, sold in November of 2020. Okay, awesome. And what was the the size or the scale of the practice at the point of exiting in 2020? So when we sold, I uh, sold basically three clinics brick and mortar, and then a total of six programs. So we had one clinic that was neurogeriatric, one was traditional orthopedic, and then one was sports performance. Those were respectively across two 5,000 square foot and one 10,000 square foot building. We had about 55 employees at the time. We were generating, you know, 1.5 at that point, and uh, we were loving life. It was good. Awesome. So you're generating 1.5 million in revenue across all three. Yes. Yeah. And were they in terms of location, were they all in the same region? Wow. Very interesting question. <laughs> we did something very unconventional that worked extremely well for us. We had our NeuroGerry location about 400 feet from our uh, Sport Ortho uh, location, and they didn't really cannibalize one another. We were able to share employees back and forth, reception staff, and it held down a lot of redundancy. The third site was about four and a half miles away. And then, Dave, you're uh, astute to ask because we had a total of six programs that I mentioned. We also 
paid no rent to have a clinic, a satellite clinic in a CCRC, a continuing care retirement center, so that we were basically providing PTOT speech to assisted living, skilled nursing, independent living, as well as what's called an Otago program out in home. We also provide a prison program as well. So six total programs. And we only had the three buildings of rev of uh, expense. How did, because there's probably owners and physical therapists and others that watch or listen to this that might be interested. How do you get a situation where there's no rent in there? So obviously you guys had the leverage. Maybe they had too long of a time where there was no contract therapist. Like how, how did you negotiate that? Or was it like a gift, an offer? Or like how did that go? Offer to come in and our acceptance of the offer was you know, basically positioned off the fact that we wouldn't pay any rent. Our exceptional reputation in neuro and geriatric rehabilitation caused them to want us as a marketing tool to be able to attract more residents. Touring Mr. and Mrs. Jones for the prospective residents of their father and father-in-law, hey, we've got, you know, Mike Studer's physical occupational therapy. These guys are nationwide known. That's part of the amenities of your father living here. Uh, so we were actually a magnet for them. And uh, as a trade-off, we charged, we were charged no rent. And that was hugely profitable, of course. And so even, so no rent, and then they were not demanding like a percentage per visit or anything like that. So literally there was no fee. Yeah. We had no reception staff on site. We're able to manage that offsite, just absorb it through the other reception staff. So all we had were the therapist time in there. Excellent. Awesome. So what was the name of the practice again? Northwest Rehabilitation Associates. Okay. So the, the two main locations were 400 feet away from each other. So in, I'm assuming it was like in a strip mall or a medical building. Or... Oh no, we built our own location. So those were built in 2009, 4,300 square feet. Built in 2014, 5,000 square feet. So those were just on nice main arteries of Salem, Oregon. And then in 2019, we built 10,000 square feet. A third location that was the sports, uh, basically sports performance site. Got it. So I'm just I'm thinking like trying to picture it in my mind. So did, so you had the two locations that are 400 feet away from each other. So you had the neuro location and then the ortho sports med, right? So correct. they both had two different signs, like one, you know, Northwest Rehab Associates, the same sign on, on both, or like one that said like Northwest Rehab Neuro and the other one was like ortho sports or how did that go? Yeah. So the signage out front clearly called out neurologic rehabilitation, physical occupational therapy, speech. And that was the first one. And the second one had a massive logo on it, the same actual icon that we use uniformly throughout all three buildings, but it said NWRA squared. So Northwest Rehabilitation Associates, NWRA, and then it had a squared sign up there. Uh, and then that one was considered our you know, orthopedic location. That one, we didn't have anything calling out that it was orthopedic because we wanted it to be a little bit more all comers in there, sports, ortho, because we had pelvic health, wellness, et cetera, in there. So the first got one it. was called out. Got it. Very interesting. Cool. All right. So you got to that point of, of critical mass and 
when did you first consider exiting or selling? Like you sold in 2020, I'm assuming, and you can correct me, I'm assuming either maybe a year or two before that, maybe you first started to think about it. Maybe you had owners or buyers approaching you. When did you first even think about selling? Was it years before 2020 or approximately when? 2017 was the first time I seriously considered selling. Mid-2017, venture capital company approached me and I got into a deep conversation with them. We didn't actually, my wife and I, co-owner, we didn't formally push long and hard into sale until a month before the pandemic. So February of 2020, before we really knew the pandemic was going to be anything other than you know another localized flu that never really affected us, February of 2020, before I left for combined sections meeting, I set up a meeting with a broker. And it's an interesting story how that happened, but that was our timeline. Awesome. Okay. And then so where did you find this broker? Was it word of mouth? Was it something online? I mean, a, a lot of owners that in general, but especially that watch this, they can go on their own, they can use the broker, or they can just negotiate on, on their own or maybe with their own attorney that they've known for, for years. So why go with a broker and how did you find that individual? Found this broker quite accidentally. I responded to an email that was selling, offering a practice for sale in my area. And obviously the practice was unnamed. I responded to the email because I thought to myself, hmm, that could be my practice for sale. This is how that could be done. I really want to start thinking about this. And so I responded and said, hey, I've got a practice that's probably a little bit larger than the one that you're selling. Also in my area, the one that you're selling is in my area. Perhaps you could have some economy of scale here, sell both practices. And so that's why we began talking at that point. And then I stayed with that broker and I did not look elsewhere for other brokers. Excellent. Totally up to you if you want to mention who the broker was. Yeah, practice transitions in the Seattle Seattle. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Did a great job and uh, were highly communicative. So I loved working with them. Your second question, though, was why to have a broker? Do you need a broker? Sitting on this side of it with the beautiful clarity of hindsight, I feel that it can be done without a broker at this point. You know, David, you and I have talked a little bit online. I've helped a number of practices not being a broker, and we've accomplished that very nicely for their benefit, all the way to sale five different practices without a broker. So I, I firmly believe it can be done without a broker at this point. There are some advantages that we can talk about, but some distinct financial disadvantages too. Yeah. And and as we mentioned in the pre-interview, I definitely want to have you back on in the next you know month or two to kind of just talk about that, because I know that's not necessarily your main thing, but you have helped a lot of practice owners, a lot of your colleagues that you've probably known for years or decades go through the same type of transition that you did as well. So, okay. So we talked about locations and scale. We talked about your broker with negotiations. Did you just allow that, allow practice transitions to lead all the negotiations? How did that go in regards to I'm assuming they had to ask you a bunch of questions and understand like, what did you really want? What was most important to you? And then did you just let them lead the negotiations or did you collaborate with your broker as much as possible during that whole process? My wife and I were very active and very opinionated in it. Having built so many buildings and built other homes, we feel like we were pretty established and business savvy. So we were very involved with it. How it laid out is practice transitions did a great job of 
understanding us and what our expectations and desires were. And then they brought all of the potential suitors to us. We helped to weed through the suitors at that point. And then we were very involved with the negotiations. Very. Excellent. How many potential suitors, like how many potential practice buyers did you guys interface with? So we started with 30. We quickly whittled it down to five, moved it down to three, and then were very deeply involved in negotiations with three. Excellent. Excellent. Mostly over Zoom because at that point it was during COVID, right? 100% over Zoom. You're exactly right. Yeah. By the time we were negotiating, we were, you know, May, June of 2020. So uh, yes, entirely over Zoom. Okay. Interesting. Also, this is during COVID, during the craziest time of uncertainty in all of our lives. How did those, let's say the three serious prospective buyers, what were they saying to you at that time when there was, I mean, there was, it was pre-vaccine. It was, uh, it was before the election before, you know, this was like the middle of the year, 2020, were they hammering you down on offers? Were they, you know, were they making you, were they pitching you a lot of deferred compensation and less money down at the close? Like if it's even possible to discuss without, you know, going into too many details, but like, were they aggressively nervous? They wanted to partner with you guys. They wanted to acquire and partner with you. But at the same time, there was so much financial uncertainty going on. So like, how did some of those conversations go at that point? Yeah, I can answer that one fairly succinctly for you, Dave. And I can tell you, I've got a decent reputation throughout the profession of physical therapy. So they were excited to be in communication with me and with my wife and I and with us. So we had that to our advantage that we already had pretty much a a national recognition. Then I will additionally tell you that we had to our advantage. Everybody at that point in the pandemic was thinking month from now, two months from now, three months from now, this is the all back to normal, back to normal. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Everything's going to be back. So we had that to our advantage that, nah, okay, this is a blip. And what you're experiencing so, right so now, the, you go the, back. The buyers were thinking that as well. They were thinking, yeah, oh, absolutely. in a month or two, this will blow over. And Right. Exactly. Yeah. However, one of the buyers eliminated themselves. They didn't know they were eliminating themselves because they were compelling us to agree to the fact that our sale value would be subject to, asterisk, our ability to return back to pre-COVID numbers. Over what potential timeline, though? One year. Yeah. One year. Yeah, but that wasn't going to be happening for me. I wanted to sell, you know, I'm taking risk, you're taking risk. And here it goes. The other set of buyers that we were in, our final three were just a little bit too inexperienced for me so that I would have to basically be doing the same thing, literally working 92 hours a week just for somebody else's money. So they were much higher in terms of their offer but I really wasn't getting the type of exit that I was looking for there in terms of being able to downshift from 92 hours a week. And all I was giving was selling away my profit for short-term dollars up front. So they were a little bit too inexperienced, didn't really have much mass to them. And there was no economy of scale. Left me with my third buyer, which could give me economy of scale, could give me regional support, could give me an opportunity to downshift a little bit and was not expecting that they were going to make their offer beholden to return back to normal. 
Awesome. I want to come right back to your buyer. Is your wife a physical therapist or no? She's not. She is an exceptional, common sense individual who is lovely and passionate and intelligent. But she partnered or worked in the practice or was a co-owner? Co-owner. And uh, she was largely considered the glue of the practice in terms of she's the, the mother of the practice, not to be matriarchal or patriarchal about it. But everybody looked to Diane as you're going to take care of us. You're going to make sure that we've got everything that we need. We love seeing your face and et cetera. Everybody loves just having her in the clinic and, and having her radiant presence. Excellent. So when you were speaking to these three serious buyers, you and your wife wanted to, you were saying to kind of downshift from 90 plus hours a week to what, to like just treating patients for 30 or 40 hours a week, or were you guys yeah, looking to get initial, out totally? Yeah. My initial vision was if I could be working like 55 hours a week, I had a practice manager at that time. So we had just hired a practice manager not too long before this. So the September before I decided to sell in February, we had grown so large having built the building in July of 2019 with 10,000 square feet and you know a brand new program that was novel to have sports performance in Salem, Oregon. It had started to grow to a mass that really was encumbering me. So I wanted to downshift, let other people locally and regionally do more of the admin, and I still wanted to treat a massive amount. So 55 hours a week, great. And without the day-to-day is beautiful. Excellent. So were the buyers flexible in what you wanted? Like they they didn't stay firm on wanting you to you know work your current schedule or continue to stay there for an extended period of time? They were so great. Absolutely. They were very receptive to my ability to continue providing continuing education, to be able to have on-site support for local building managers, to have regional support. All of that was beautiful. Uh, They wanted me. They actually negotiated to the point where they were allowing me to... My final negotiation was 35 hours a week, Dave, all clinical. So that's what we brought it down to. My vision when I sold was 55 we brought it down to 35 because we knew I probably would end up working more than I was negotiated to. Got it. And then at that time, so basically your wife was the chief operating officer type of role or what type of role would you say? Yeah. As a matter of fact, she was kind of assistant HR because our practice manager was formally taking care of the HR. So she would do, she would help reception staff do all of the incoming interviews make certain that all errands, inventory, and stock was done, that we were all completely taken care of. She was basically the employee relations as well, game night, fun night, et cetera. She's all of that. Um, And she did some PR as well, marketing in the area. Got it. And so in terms of like the offer and the, the purchase price, was there a contingency in terms of timeline where the buyers wanted you and your wife to stay, whether six months, one year, two years, was there a specific timeline tied into your agreement? Two years on that. Two years. Got it. And with the roles and responsibilities and like the hours per week, all that like define, which is what you kind of just mentioned, like 35 hours a week of patient care. And then like whatever your wife's, those roles, responsibilities with her working, I guess, probably 35 or 40 hours. Yeah, she was uh, being covered for 25 hours a week and I was doing 35. Got it. And so you both were comfortable with that of two years? Oh, yeah. Sounded great to us. We love Salem. It was still home to us. All three of our kids were born there. 
I love the practice and the ability to work 35 hours a week sounded great. It sounded so great, Dave, that I decided to go back to school and earn a DPT starting in January, the next January of 2021. And I took the entire year of 2021 to do a huge deep dive. And I took those 92 hours a week that were reduced down to 35. And I went back and got a DPT in one year. Got it. Very nice. Yeah. And you're always spinning a lot of plates, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So you, without mentioning the number, it sounds like you and your wife were happy with the the overall purchase price? Very, yeah. So we got uh, some funds up front and deferred a significant amount of it. Plus, we still own the three buildings. Uh, and we gave them the same rent terms, lease terms that we were paying ourselves and then had them in for a seven-year lease which, uh, you know, all the, all that sounded great to me and then worked out nice. Awesome. So in regards to the purchase price for practice owners watching or listening, you got X, but if you, another practice owner watching or listening, they might want to get out of their practice. Like they're looking regardless of where their age, but it could be, they want to move to the other coast or they want to travel more. They want to spend more time with their children or grandchildren. What would have happened, do you think, if you and your wife were like, no, we're looking to sell and like, we'll stay for like a month or three months or something. But like, we're looking to get out because you got like, if you guys had some other plans, what do you think that would have done to the purchase price or the offer? Probably reduced anything in the neighborhood of 15 to 20% at least, because when you are looking to, it's going to be looking to bail. Our own human instinct and confirmation bias is going to say, this person doesn't want to continue to be here, is not interested in the future deferment of the success of the practice. I need to hedge my bets just a little bit and not pay them as much because they're not as invested. They might not actually do near as good a job to continue the practice legacy. So I need to reduce what I'm going to offer. My guess is 15 to 20%. Yeah, I love it. Because sometimes practice owners that we've been speaking with, they want both. They want the top dollar or max value offer and potentially want to get out very quickly. And those things don't really jive, right? Don't resonate. And you have to consider really theory of mind. Put yourself in someone else's perspective, right? In someone else's shoes. And the reality is no rightful buyer that is intelligent enough to pay this type of money should be equating those two situations the same. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So let's go back to the ultimate buyer. Can you mention who partnered and acquired you guys? Yeah. So we worked with Golden Bear Physical Therapy. Uh, they're currently known as Therapy Partners Group. So they changed their name last year. And they were owned by Shore Capital. So Venture Capital. Golden Bear Physical Therapy came out of California and was basically three states or so at the time and has since grown into much more of a multi-state operation. Excellent. Awesome. And in regards to, I, I mean, we already started to cover it, but for practice owners watching or listening, like what are some of the other learnings or some of the other experiences that you can share that other practice owners would be you know, interested in or that would provide some insight or help that you don't really hear about until you're in the thick of it? Hmm. Yeah. So there's several great considerations here and lessons to be learned and exceptional stories. I think that if you're in a situation where you own your own bricks and mortar, 
Uh, do make certain that you're not negotiating that down. That has a lot of value. Make certain that you are charging the same amount or a premium for your building. So that's one thing. Uh, get a long-term lease. Get something seven to 10 years. Don't get something that's five years or less. Additionally, I would tell you what's changed just a little bit since I sold is that there almost is no such thing as a non-compete in healthcare now. They are very, very, very hard to enforce. So you don't really need to feel forced or compelled to sign a non-compete. I don't think that they hold up nicely in courts, especially in healthcare. And then I think there needs to be some accountability for the promises that are made in terms of the amount of support that's going to come in from the buyer in terms of regional support, local support, et cetera. So I think there, there could be more objective accountability that's laid out in your contracting efforts. Got it. So just to recap, if you're a practice owner watching or listening, and if you own the real estate of your brick and mortar outpatient rehab office, most buyers, including us and most national and regional buyers, we don't want to acquire the real estate because we're looking to acquire the practice. It would take more capital to acquire the real estate. And it also can kind of muddy the, because then you're valuing the real estate and you're valuing the practice. Sometimes the real estate is worth more than the practice. And, you know, it just really, it, it can get challenging for buyers. And so buyers that are focused typically, and, and this is for most of the, the big corporates and, you know, the USPHs of the world and some of the other bigger buyers, like they're all acquiring the practice. And if you, as the practice owner, happen to own the real estate, then most including... So another example was Bob Babb, who sold his 11 locations to Ivy Rehab a couple years ago. And same type of thing. He owned a bunch of the real estate and he still maintains the real estate. He mentioned it on the show here. So most of the buyers are not looking to buy the real estate. So you're right about the rent should be market rate and it should not be necessarily zero or something super inflated, right? It has to be market rate. Hey, you want them to be successful. You can't actually make their bottom line so penalized and so weighted by uh, your lease. You want them to be successful. So what makes a lot of sense, and which is what we did, is we just charged them the same exact amount that the LLCs that own the buildings were charging to the LLC that owned the practice. Right. And then the other component about the lease, any buyer like us, like Golden Bear, any other buyer. Yeah, you're right. We're looking for 7, 10, 12-year lease, a real long lease, as opposed to acquiring a practice that has two or three more years on the lease. Then the landlord says, oh, this new buyer, this therapy buyer group bought the practice. And then they try to jack the rent up like yeah. through the roof. And then the new buyers are like, well, what do we do? do our options are either to pay this very aggressively high lease increase now, or yeah. now the, the challenge of time, effort, and money of like moving the practice to some other location nearby. So every buyer wants a long-term lease, either renegotiated as a condition of closing or some lease that's a long, like you said, seven or more years established before the close. So either way. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a win-win, I believe, to be able to have that secured for both parties. For sure. So... In regards to any other learnings we covered, what should the audience look out for? What should practice owners look for when exiting or selling? We talked about your support that you had in regards to a broker. Now you've learned the whole process. Um, did you have to interface with your accountant or your your lawyer, your personal lawyer? Did you have a law firm externally? Like, what are what are some of the other components that 
helped you sleep at night going through this process for the first time? So Dave, here's where we made one mistake that I think is great for your listeners to benefit from. Bring your own lawyer to the dogfight, if you will. We utilized a lawyer who ended up doing a great job for us, uh, but we utilized a lawyer that was brought to us from the broker. And I think you have to be watchful of the potential. And I'm not suggesting this is what occurred with us, but you have to be watchful of the potential that you align yourself with a broker who may already be aligned with several practices and may get an incentive to just steer you toward a few practices. And you may have 30 suitors, but you may be subtly and unbeknownst to you steered toward one practice the whole time and you don't even know you're headed down that train track. Mm. And then if you have a uh, a lawyer that comes in from the broker, the whole thing can seem like an inside job that you can look at later and say, wow, that seemed like an inside job. And I was basically going through a con game just to go this direction the whole time. Again, I'm not saying that's what happened with us, but now looking back at it, that potentially could happen to some buyer or some sellers. So find your broker, but also vet your broker and look, whom else have they recently had transactions with? A really, really valuable question. Okay, your last 10 sales, who do they go to? Wow, eight of them went to the same place. Scratch your head. Number two, bring uh-huh. your own lawyer that you already trust that can do corporate law, but in contract law and healthcare and maybe even some of the real estate and leases, you want to have a multifactorial capacity there, but make certain they don't already have skin in the game of selling you to another direction as well. I love that advice. Perfect advice. Find your own lawyer locally, regionally. Also, we're interacting with a seller right now and he's using his personal attorney our team and our lawyers, you know, looked up the lawyer's name on Google, right? We just Googled the name. And so the the seller's attorney mm-hmm. is specialized in real estate. Now, there is some overlap, but we're buying a practice here. We're not buying the real estate. So the negotiations have been a little chippy, a little interesting because our law firm only does healthcare. And that's the perspective that we're coming from. And then we're interfacing with this seller's attorney who knows contract law but obviously much more on the real estate side and all of this individual's designation and experience is only in commercial real estate. Yeah. And so that's a thing where like that the seller can use his attorney that he's known forever. They can, the practice owner can use any attorney that they want, but that has caused a little bit, not too much friction. We're going to probably get this, this, this partnership and this deal done, but I agree. And I want to just kind of extend off of what you said, which is a practice owner listening. I suggest that you, like Mike said, you get your own attorney regionally, not through your broker. I love that. And number two, ensure that that individual has a background in contract law around selling small practices, selling businesses, maybe medical offices, uh, dental offices, hopefully physical therapy. Healthcare in general would be great. You know, the audience, you guys can reach out to me and I can provide some, some attorney suggestions that you can, you know, interview and vet, but definitely a local attorney that you find. And ideally some, an attorney that has experience in selling your type of practice. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they, they need to be multidisciplinary, multi-talented. And that's not hard to find. You think that that's going to be overwhelming. That's not hard to find and it's not hard to vet them either. For sure. So we'll wrap up in a few minutes. Uh, you've been very open and graceful with your time. And I got to respect your time for your next call that you have coming up. So what are any final considerations? Um, I know you're so you're also busy helping other practice owners. They can definitely reach out to you and we'll give you a chance in the next couple of minutes to let the audience know how to reach you and, and contact you for more. Any final recap in regards to your situation? Like you guys are you're happy with the outcome. Are there any bittersweet moments where you, you know, you miss the original ownership years where you miss the, you know, the 80, 90 hour weeks that you're, you're putting in like a madman, any, anything that you miss, any bitter, bittersweet moments, any, any seller's remorse? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's all been good. It's all been learning. And, you know, I'm sitting here, it's almost February of 2023. I'm almost three years removed from when I decided to sell because CSM 2020 was early in that year. We're almost exactly three years away. I'm sitting here in Las Vegas, Nevada in a brand new house that we just built. And I still own my home in Oregon. I can practice as much or as little as I want right now. I'm so thrilled with the sale that we committed to. My sale is still leaving those practices back there uh, in Oregon, thriving with a beautiful, wonderful legacy, still serving patients. Uh, and that's very important to me, not to just abandon the community that we raised that practice in. It, the story has ended extremely well. It's informed me in a manner that I can go out and help other practices, even those learning lessons that I maybe would have done differently. And I'm still looking forward to the time that Golden Bear Therapy Partners Group would resale, and I still have dollars coming to me uh, in the future from that. I love all of it. I'm so happy that I sold. I don't miss the 90 hours a week, and I'm impassioned to dive my hours however I want to spend them in many different ways now. So it's very, very good. Excellent. So you still have some equity in, in the practice. Right, right. So we still have an X multiplier that's yet to return back. And so we're looking forward to that. Whenever they sell, I'm not pushing the, the gas pedal on that. And then we still own the buildings as well. Uh, so of the three buildings that I mentioned, we sold one of them and uh, still own two of those. So it's, it's worked extremely well. And at the same time, we, from all of this, decided to leverage the dollars that we gained from one of those building sales, and we opened another practice about 130 miles away in central Oregon with two great people that were formerly employees of mine, physical therapists. And I'm just a silent, silent, silent consultant partner for them. And that world is beautiful also. So we could have a whole nother show about being a silent partner. Uh, Ooh, that's love so fun as well. Yeah, I would love that. Absolutely. Mike, this is, has been awesome. You provided significant amount of value and insight. I know practice owners are going to listen to this and probably save the episode or, or listen to it a couple of times because you provided a lot of specific tactical things that, like I said, that, that's why I'm putting out the show. Like there's just no content like this that where practice owners are opening up the behind the scenes from their experiences and sharing whatever details that they're able to share or that they want to share. So this has been super helpful. I know a lot of practice owners will love this. Um, the owners that are watching, listening, what's a good place for them to contact you, whether it's LinkedIn, website, email address, if they want to just learn more about your, your story, your process, uh, have a private confidential phone call if they want to work with you in any capacity. 
Yeah, it's uh, really easy to reach me however you want to. My last name is spelled S-T-U-D-E-R, and I'm sure that's in show notes. So everything is Mike Studer DPT. That's my, you know, it's my Instagram. It's my Twitter. You can find me Mike Studer on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. My email address is Mike at MikeStuder.com. And my website is MikeStuder.com. So super easy. And, and you'll see some blogs up there. And uh, yeah, I, I'm very receptive to all, all reach outs. And my guarantee is almost without exception, unless you see my vacation notice come up, I'll respond in less than a day. Excellent. Sounds great, Mike. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. Thank you, Dave. And thanks to all your listeners. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.